0: Humans are fascinated by deviance, we are sickened by acts of violence and taboos, yet we cannot look away, hence our love for crime and cult documentaries. We find ourselves streaming true crime, falling down rabbit holes on Wikipedia, and trying our hands at solving the unsolvable. However, in the SNL episode hosted by Nick Jonas that aired... sorry. In the SNL episode hosted by Nick Jonas that aired this Saturday, we saw in a satirical song that one could take murder shows and, like in a card game, raise cult documentaries. Cults may be as interesting to learn about as murder shows, but do they really contain the deviant and violent behavior we love murder shows for revealing? Why is religion conflated with cults? Why are we so distrustful of them? Frankly and simply, cults are contentious. But maybe they shouldn't be. Welcome to Not So Familiar History. I'm Helen Gunn.
1: And I'm David Cirillo.
0: Traditionally, cults denote practices of religious veneration and the system surrounding said veneration. This is clear in ancient times, but even in the present, such as with the cult of Our Lady of Guadalupe, according to UPenn Professor Robin Clark. That said, I want to look at the ancient Roman cult of Jupiter Delicanus, a mystery cult of the Roman Empire. In 2018, archeologists uncovered a small, childlike hand made of bronze. I mean, a creepy little kitty hand would be cause for alarm, but finding it in Northumberland, a former stronghold of the Roman Empire, led them to believe that this hand was for the mystery cult that presided in Vindolanda. As mystery cult traditions were only passed on to initiates, little is known about this particular cult. Mystery cults supplemented the traditional religions, rather than opposing them. However, traditional Roman religion was at odds and in competition with Christianity. Jupiter Delicinus was one of those such cults. Uh, Jupiter himself is known as an oriental god, or at least his version of Jupiter and he was a reinvented god using foreign influences in order to paint him with a brush of legitimacy and also set him apart from the Roman gods of tradition. Oriental gods were constructed on hearsay, or what the Romans imagined foreign gods to be like. Jupiter Delicanus was likely poached from interactions between soldiers in the Roman Comaginian campaign against Pontus in 64 BC. Romans perceived this new god as Syrian, and this cult was popular for about a century until the end of the Severan dynasty, a dynasty whose leaders were Syrian African. Because of its quick rise and fall, almost nothing is known about the cult's customs. Yet what we do know is that ancient Roman cults were completely normal. They were a place of openness and togetherness where worshippers could hang out. In fact, initiation rites to join these cults were full of ceremonial pomp, but also dancing, worship, and days of rest. Afterwards, new initiates would join their fellow brethren in a banquet or dressed in ceremonial garb. Honestly, this sounds like a cool party where you could come out with more friends than you started with.
1: Sounds kind of like Greek life in a college, to be honest.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it's like joining a sorority or a fraternity and then having just like a whole house full of friends after.
1: I wouldn't know. Neither would you. No, neither of us. Yeah. (laughs) During the Middle Ages, cults were still mainly associated with religion. While some lionized Christian culture for preserving works of learning or sponsoring exquisite art, the early medieval church was pretty unforgiving. They relied on anti-intellectualism, something Martin Luther later took issue with, as well as iconoclasm and moral prejudice. But more than anything else, the church demanded devotion. This could be bent, often religious figures of high standing could say, have sex or engage in other sins people who could afford it could get out of their sins with indulgences which patrons paid to absolve their sins Ay. but for the most part yeah but for the most part especially for the common person any devotion beyond that to the holy father and his disciples was grounds for heresy Certain cults of personality formed in plain sight behind saints or impressive figures like Joan of Arc, or even, one could say, Jesus himself, making Christianity a cult of its own. But any deviation was stomped out. Paganism was hunted and viewed as demonic. Wars were fought in the name of religious purity, namely the Crusades. Statues were destroyed, or at least their genitals, in the name of Christian modesty. And all forms of pagan ritual not adapted into Christian tradition were brutally destroyed and associated with the mystical forces of darkness, like witchcraft. Cults that existed surrounding pagan entities had to go into hiding in Europe. Other, more hybrid religions that embraced Christianity were similarly targeted from the 7th century politicians in modern-day Armenia who advocated for direct communication with God through prayer, to the Bogomils of the 11th century in the Balkans who believed that the world was already controlled by evil and it was our sacred duty to break free, to the Waldensians in 12th century Provence in France who translated the Bible and preached simplicity over Catholic extravagance. All these movements too, with devoted followings akin to a cult, were snuffed out. It's truly a wonder that Martin Luther reached the level of success that he did when you think of the sheer power of the church to control society so firmly, from politics to morality to community.
0: You just called out my church, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> As time went on, cults hiding from Christian oppression transformed and continued and even adopted a new meaning. Cults ceased denoting just religion and began to shift into the meaning we know today. According to Dr. Clark, the word cult was co-opted in the first half of the 20th century by sociology and has come to denote a social group with socially deviant beliefs and practices, like a UFO cult. To make things even hairier, the new definition of cult is often conflated with new religions, likely due to the fact that they both are started by charismatic leaders. However, religions are able to sustain themselves after charismatic leader leaves this earthly plane. Cults, as of yet, are not.
1: But despite their hidden, often shady associations, cults are ultimately places of belonging, and they've always been. Both good and bad, or sometimes somewhere in between. As the idea of the cult has expanded and gained new connotations, many are afraid to join a cult, to call themselves a cult, to be associated with any form of the term. But not all cults, going by the definition of a devoted group from Merriam-Webster, are necessarily a bad thing. Just think about a place of belonging with a devoted cause. That's what humans crave, from a family or a job or some kind of purpose in life. It's what we often devote our lives to. So when we find that in a more unusual setting, people may gawk, but perhaps it warrants a closer look before rushing to judgment. Backing up about 10 seconds though, many organizations or networks we might fit under the cult umbrella purposely don't characterize themselves as cults, as I said, to avoid the eerie connotation. One of these networks is the Gülen Movement, born in Turkey but now spread around the world. This movement is controversial even by its name. It is called Hizmet, meaning service, by its proponents, and Simet, meaning community, by its opponents. Namely, the Turkish government's ruling party, the AKP. It's also referred to as the Fethullah terrorist organization by certain Turkish officials. But what is this group? It's not a cult according to the members. Its website ultimately reads, When looking at the evidence, it's clear that the Gulen movement is the furthest thing from a cult. It is mainstream Islamic movement, its practices rooted deeply in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, but also confident to engage with members of other rich religious and intellectual traditions of many cultures. Whereas cults generally disengage from wider society, the Gulen movement has gone out of its way to engage with the world through its schools, dialogue, efforts, and businesses. Okay, so they came up with their own differentiation there. A cult must be insular and closed off. We disagree based on conventional definitions, but we get why they would want to step away from the whole idea. But what is the Gulen Movement? And why is it so controversial in the eyes of the Turkish government? Furthermore, why is it an example of a more harmless, even net positive, cult? Well, it's a community of people advocating for universal education, tolerance, civil society, peace, and Islam, as advocated for, primarily through its leader, Fethullah Gulen. He is regarded by followers as a spiritual leader, and sometimes described as Turkey's second most powerful man. And actually, he resides in the United States. The movement has attracted supporters and drawn the attention of critics in Turkey, Central Asia, and various other parts of the world. It's active in education and has a string of private schools and universities in over 180 countries. One of my roommates in college even attended a Goldenist Harmony school, the largest charter school network in the United States. It's also initiated, initiated forms for interfaith dialogue, health clinics, and a whole lot more. Its core beliefs are conservative regarding Islam, but it's also an advocate for peace and a global movement seen as a shining, perhaps more mainstream alternative to other, perhaps more extreme movements like Salafism, a form of Sunni Islam. When the AKP came to power in Turkey in the early 2000s, Erdogan, current president, and Gulen were actually pretty close and allied against the secular elite in Turkey. See, the AKP rose from the grassroots, forming from the ashes of the outlawed Islamist virtue political party. They were the natural allies in their opposition to Kemalist secularism and in their more populist agenda. And Gulen was integral to Erdogan's wins. His followers are said to be in the millions around the world some numbers saying millions are in Turkey alone, and that certain members are high-ranking government officials. Which brings me to the purge of 2016 that followed an attempted coup, or perhaps a staged coup, dependent on your view, but I'll try not to be too controversial. I do remember this coup quite vividly. I was working at a research position specific to Turkey while at the French International Relations Institute, which is called l'Institut Français des Relations Internationales in French, IFRI for short. And my boss, in fact, was on a plane to Istanbul during the coup. I have some interesting tidbits about sightings and some informants lending credence to some interesting theories about whether or not the coup was indeed real, but I won't go into that. When I was at Ifri, I was hacked by certain Turkish groups once for my writings, and I don't want it to happen again. But I digress.
0: That is so (laughs) lit, David.
1: Yeah, I'm on a few watch lists. Anyway, That's so
0: exciting! uh... I've never been on a watch list before. Why can't I? Yeah, that's won? weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. Um. Anyway, <laughs> Erdogan blamed the coup on Gulen and his followers and used it as an excuse to massively purge everything. It's true that Gulen has ties to media, education, and various other political entities in Turkey, but Erdogan used this as an excuse to spread mass censorship, purge his government, and impose stricter rule in Turkey. I could again go on and on this is one of my areas of expertise and interest i could talk about the referendum in turkey to change the constitution and accumulate more power for erdogan and the akp their humble eu-friendly beginnings and their more totalitarian islamist turn i could go on and on but i won't that's for another podcast as for gulen he still resides in the united states somewhat near Helen's stomping grounds in pennsylvania
0: we could be neighbors
1: yeah, you yeah, you should say hi when you're uh, <laughs> when you're there. Ask now. him
0: if he I should ask him if he could put me on any watch lists.
1: Why would you want
0: that? I just feel like it'd be a cool flex, you know?
1: Okay, Helen, ask him if he could put you on a no-fly list. And while some still believe the movement is a sect determined to use its connections to form some nefarious Islamist secret network, for now it's just a lot of people who believe in a more conservative form of Islam and want to spread access to education for all people across the world, with some tenets of peace thrown in. And if people feel accepted and found in that movement, I say that doesn't sound too bad.
0: So another nice little supposed cult is Shen Yun. You know what I'm talking about. The pretty Chinese ladies dancing on posters and a cult that exists to push against the harsh restrictions of the Chinese government are apparently one and the same. Shen Yun, according to the Chinese government, is the dancing face of the Falun Gong cult. In reality, Falun Gong is a popular practice of meditation and spiritual practices of morality. It is classified as a new religious movement. China claims this group is a cult that is evil, anti-society, and brainwashes its adherents to self-mutilate or commit suicide. This, however, is likely motivated by the fact that Falun Gong practitioners are some of the loudest opposers to the Beijing government. Falun Gong has experienced forceful suppression in China, where they have been outlawed. They conducted the largest protests since Tiananmen Square, which the government met with forceful crackdowns. However, while Falun Gong fights for the ability to practice their religion, Shen Yun performs in an effort to bring Chinese culture to the world, while sending anti-communist messages through graceful dance storytelling. The irony is this. The adherents to Falun Gong were largely apolitical. However, when China suppressed them, they became activists who ended up shaking China with their ability to gain traction on the world stage. Now, wherever Shen Yun travels, representatives of the Chinese government are close by, going so far as to sabotage the performances and even getting their shows canceled. By today's definition, Shen Yun and Falun Gong are not a cult, but it is clear why China would hijack the word and use it to describe them. The connotations ask us to be distrustful of Falun Gong, not the other way around. There's some pretty crazy stories about this. Like, apparently, like, their tires were slashed, and, like, somebody threw acid into their their engines so that they're, like cars would be disabled it was like it's like wild stuff
1: oh wow <laughs> so there are gray areas from time to time in terms of cults and helen is completely correct people use the connotation surrounding a cult to their own meaning and they try to manipulate like with netflix's wild wild country perhaps it was the alluring perspective of the docuseries but I heavily empathized with the so-called cult following the Indian guru Bhagwan Narazneesh in Oregon. To me, it seemed like people were a bit indoctrinated, but they also found a place of free love, a shelter from the biting conservatism that surrounded them in 1980s America. Granted, they did try to mildly poison these outsiders when they threatened their community.
0: <laughs> Granted, they just tried a little poison, bit of though. light murder. Oh, it was just food poisoning. No, no,
1: it was just food poisoning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just-
0: <laughs> just sprinkling a little bit of arsenic. Shh, it's okay. <laughs> it's just some light murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Woo.
1: Okay. Well, um, hey, plenty of communities in America, in my opinion, have done far worse to people far less threatening, with much less cause for concern, uh, with very little reason. So I kind of empathize with these people. There are other valid critiques, like the indoctrination leading to possible sexual abuse or other activities, which is why it's a gray area to us, because cults exist on a spectrum like every group. Some are more obviously clean cut than others, and how they're perceived and talked about in society, whether or not it's through, say, China, talking about Falun Gong, or whether or not it's about Netflix portraying a specific view of the Rajneeshi group, we are influenced in how we view cults with the connotation of how they're presented to us. Another dark area is *Midsummer*, a fictional tale which comes to mind. It's a cult by every tenant. It seems nice and idyllic at first, but there's a bunch of murder too. Not the light murder, the normal murder.
0: Ayy. The exciting murder. Yeah.
1: Yeah, kind of. The thing is, a lot of it is quite voluntary, and who am I to say when you reach a certain age, you need to stay alive for the sake of staying alive if you don't want to? Since they had a little tradition where if you were over a certain age, you would fall off a cliff and die.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Sort of Catcher yeah. in the Rye-ish.
1: Yeah, yeah, or maybe The Giver. Um.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about The Catcher in the Rye, how he wanted to save the kids from falling off the cliff into adulthood. And he's just standing in the rye waiting for him.
1: I was thinking of The Giver because didn't they kill people when they got to a certain Yes,
0: age? absolutely. I was thinking about The, the Giver <laughs> at first, but then when you were saying they get thrown off a cliff, I was thinking of Holden Caulfield's very, very imperfect view of adulthood. (laughs) So I ran to catch her in the rye.
1: There was some involuntary murder too, but for some reason, I was okay with that for the most part. I was rooting for the cult at times. That's not to say the cult was right, it just goes to show that the power of manipulation when it's done well, how sometimes acts we would deem heinous in certain contexts are accepted in others. It teaches us to stay on our toes regarding our judgment, or perhaps our judgment is misplaced entirely. Who's to say? But what happens when this veneration turns objectively bad? The trust turns blinding and even more murderous than this fictional cult? These are the cults we often hear about and often are worried about.
0: Yeah, these are the cults that we think of when we think of the word cult. and basically how cult has been hijacked, the word itself, to go from religious veneration to these sort of deviant acts. Perhaps the quintessential cult, Jim Jones in Jonestown, is one of those harmful, scary cults that will go down in infamy. Jones started as a pastor in Indiana who was inspired by communism. He decided the best way to disseminate communist ideas after being shaken by harassment through McCarthyism was through the church. Eventually, he started his own church, the People's Temple. After moving his church from Indiana to California, Jones garnered many members and a lot of support through his integrationist activism. His church grew as other activists began to follow his teachings, and eventually he proclaimed he was the reincarnation of Gandhi, Buddha, Jesus, and Vladimir Lenin, and also told us that God wasn't real. He formed alliances with the media of the area until a column in 1977 revealed that he had been abusing his church members physically, emotionally, and sexually. Ah, uh, this isn't to say that communism leads to deviant acts like these, but this was his motivation at the time.
1: No, this was America. This was America, so, this was
0: America uh, yeah. in the 70s, that is true. Yeah. But you can see from the, the progression that I have created here that he was like normal-ish until he decided that he was literally all of these religious figures and that he basically replaced God.
1: I will make sure to keep a lookout for anyone who one day proclaims themselves to be a messiah. Sounds great.
0: (laughs) So after this expose sort of tarnished Jones's reputation, he moved the people's temple into a makeshift city in Guyana that was named Jonestown after himself, of course. Uh, Because when you are basically the new god, you've got to have a town named after you, right? In isolation, Jones's authority began to wane. There was no need to recruit new people, and also it, it's really hard to hide a drug problem when you can't go anywhere. Uh, he also did not allow his members to leave the commune that he lauded as a sanctuary for the purest of communists. It was at this time that he started to propagate the belief that he and his followers would leave the earthly plane to live in blissful eternity on another planet. While all of this crazy was going down, Jones was still lauded for his integrationist practices, as 68% of his church was black. In 1978, those who had escaped the church formed a concerned relatives group that spoke out about their treatment and their concern for the relatives they left behind at the commune. Jones began to lose his political allies, and Congressman Leo Ryan arrived at the commune on a fact mission. As he left with his team, they were murdered by gun, on order from Jones. And on the same day, Jones had the 909 people of Jonestown, 303 of which were children, drink cyanide poisoning via Kool-Aid. They all died. And then Jones was found with a gunshot wound to the head, ruled suicide by the local coroner. While there were dissenters to the whole mass suicide event, members were told that crying over their impending doom was not the way good communists die. Regardless, they did end up dying, and drinking the Kool-Aid has become synonymous with cultish behavior. This is indeed a sad story about how charismatic leaders can brainwash their populace into doing unspeakable things.
1: So why do people join these things? We aren't psychologists. Uh, We are simply novice historians, so (laughs) who are we to say? But over 800 cults and cult-like groups are currently flourishing in the United States and there are many, many more throughout the world. The answer is simple enough. People join cults because they're looking for love or acceptance and because they want answers to the personal problems in their lives or perhaps larger problems in the world. Unlike most people who might find that in, say, a relationship or alcohol or social media, certain individuals go to great lengths, sometimes beyond the bounds of normalcy in order to meet the depth of their needs. They will do whatever it takes to heal their wounds and answer the big questions. In a way, they're susceptible, in another, perhaps they're brave for taking such a risk. But when we hear Colt, we cower with judgment. But should we? Colt is a complicated term with a complicated history. They aren't always bad. They can even help us get through things when we feel alone. But just be careful that you choose one without any Kool-Aid if it comes to that.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Not So Familiar History. We are available on basically any streaming platform, so find us wherever you find your podcasts.
1: We look forward to indoctrinating you soon.